Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly Podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. The word supernatural, if uh, we were going to define it with uh, Webster's help, would be this. Supernatural means of or relating to an order of existence beyond the visible, right? So we were talking about how that's, that's God's natural realm is the supernatural beyond the, the visible, observable uh, universe, especially of relating to God. And then it lists the other spiritual things that would be going on in the spirit realm, spirits and devil and all that. And then the second part of that definition says this, departing from what is usual or normal, especially so as to appear to the transcend the laws of nature. And that's, that's, that's God right there. God is not limited by the laws of nature because he is a supernatural God. And so when we pray prayers of, of faith, we know that we can pray prayers that would go beyond what the natural would tell us because we serve a supernatural God. That's what supernatural means. And the supernatural realm is real. It's real whether you believe it or not. Because there may be somebody that would be hearing this today and they may think, well, I don't believe in all that stuff. Well, you can not believe in that stuff if you want to, but it doesn't change the fact that it's real. I mean, you can just say it doesn't exist, but it exists. And so the supernatural realm is very, very real. And you should, believe. matter of fact, I'll just ask you, do you believe in that supernatural realm? And if you do, you also would, have, would need to believe in a spiritual war that's going on. And if you do... Well, let me, instead of asking you, do you believe that there's a spiritual war going on? Let me ask you this. Do you live like you believe there's a spiritual war going on? Because that's a very different question. And that's really where Paul is diving into here in Ephesians chapter 6. He's really trying to get people not just to believe it or to acknowledge it, but he's really trying to get people to live like they believe that there's a spiritual war, that there's a supernatural realm, and that, that it's just as real as our physical realm. In Ephesians chapter 6, this is what he says. He says in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Somebody may say, I don't believe in the devil. Again, that's cute, all right? It doesn't matter. The devil believes in you, all right? He knows you're real. He knows he's real, uh, whether you believe in it or not. Uh, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So here Paul is talking about this this supernatural spiritual realm that's going on. And it's pretty, uh, pretty impressive. And I think in the church, I've seen kind of two extremes when we talk about maybe the spiritual realm or, or spiritual forces of evil. I feel like sometimes there's two extremes. One extreme would be this. 
That there are some people in the church that, I mean, everything is spiritual war. Everything is demonic. I mean, anything that happens, like, like you could be uh, eating, like I, I like to eat chips and salsa, for instance. I've eaten a lot of chips and salsa in my life, and, and I've di dipped a, a chip before to bring it to my mouth. I've done it thousands of times, yet this one time my hand-eye coordination gets off, and I miss my mouth a little bit, and some salsa will spill down on my shirt. I'm not one that would be like, devil, get behind me, Satan. You will not, not today, no devil. Because personally, I don't know that the devil even knew that that happened at that moment, you know? But some, I've seen some extremes like that where I mean everything is the devil, but then I've seen other extremes where people are oblivious to a spiritual war at all. And I mean nothing. They don't think anything's a spiritual war. And both extremes have some danger. And what Paul's trying to say is, look, you can't, you can't necessarily think that you're a victim and that everything around you is spiritual. I mean, every single thing. But at the same point, you can't ignore that that thing exists because there is a very real spiritual war going on and you're in the middle of it whether you realize it or not. So he's given us what to do to respond to that realm that we exist in. And as I think about that spiritual realm... <clears throat> I remember back to a season of my life. It was right after my ninth birthday. And right after my ninth birthday, my family took me uh, to the movies. And uh, we went and saw a movie by the name of Rocky II. I don't know if there's any old schoolers here or any of the campuses that remember the Rocky movies. But Rocky II was so good. Rocky II was better than Rocky I because in Rocky II, he actually wins the fight. In Rocky I, he doesn't win. Spoiler alert, by the way. But if you haven't seen it by now, then it ain't my fault, all right? You've had a couple decades to check it out. Don't be coming at me, all right? But in Rocky II, he actually wins. And when I experienced that movie, it was more than just entertainment. I felt for sure for the first time in my young life, I realized why I had been, why I had been put on the planet. I realized what I was born for. I, was, I, I accepted that night after that movie, I accepted a call to be the heavyweight champion boxer of the world. Like I was so convinced that this was my lot in life. As a matter of fact, I started training the minute the movie was over. In between the theater and the car, I already started my training regiment. I was running out to the car. I was shadow boxing. I was getting jabs in. I was figuring it out because I had seen some things in the movie. I wanted, to, I wanted to work on it while it was fresh in my brain. And I worked hard just out there in the parking lot because I just knew that's why I existed was to be the heavyweight. I started thinking, you know what? If I start now at the age of nine, I could get my first prize fight when I'm like 16 or 17. My first title fight at age 19 or 20. I could be the youngest heavyweight champion of the world ever. I was convinced. I got home that night, I started training immediately. I didn't have all the fancy equipment that I had seen uh, in that movie. I didn't have the speed bag and all the, all the stuff. So I went down in my basement and uh, I found a pillow uh, down in my basement. And then I found an extension cord and I tied the uh, pillow up with the extension cord over the rafter and so now the pillow was just hanging there. And then I went to work. I mean that one night, that first night I go to work, I'm just punching that pillow, I'm going. The next morning I get up early. Mm. I go on a little run. I go back into the basement. Now, ain't nobody down there coaching me on. 
I don't need nobody because I found why I exist. I found what I was made for. I'm down there punching that pillow. I'm going, I'm working up a sweat. I'm working hard. At one point, I punched and kind of, instead of the pillow, I hit the plug because it was tied up with an extension cord. I hit the plug and it hurt. And I kind of come back a little bit and I looked down and I had opened my, my skin a little bit and I was bleeding a little bit and I was tempted at that point to stop. But you know what I realized? No, if I'm gonna be a fighter, I gotta get used to this. I gotta be tough. And so they just got me going all the more. Bring it on. I gotta get used to blood, right? If I'm gonna be a boxer. So I just get in there and I start punching some more. And I mean, that, that calling on my life and that, that work that I started into, I was serious about it. So serious that I, that workout regimen lasted for, I think, as I remember back, at least two or three days that I, I committed <laughs> to work out, to be... As you can see, it didn't pan out so much. <clears throat> but the reason why I think back of that when I read this passage of Scripture that, that Paul writes about this spiritual realm is what can happen to us is we can do a couple weeks on the supernatural. We can do a couple weeks of services on a spiritual war that we're in the middle in. And sometimes during that, we come out of church ready to go. Like we come out of church ready to tie up our spiritual pillow and start to go to work and start to train. But if we're not careful, we'll do the same thing I did and let just a comfort life kind of start to take over. We'll just kind of say, well, I mean, I was all into that for a little bit, but now it's not so much. Well, here's the problem. I am not in a boxing ring, so it didn't matter that I didn't keep up the training. But you are in a spiritual battle, so it matters. This can't just be a couple days of motivation where you decide, I'm be strong in this fight. No, this needs to be your life. Because the spiritual war, listen, the enemy, the enemy's taking this serious. And so, so should you. And so as we look at this passage of scripture, look, if, if this thing's real, if this spiritual supernatural war is real, then let's look. Verse 10, he says this. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I guess I would say it this way, that if this is real, you've got to be internally trained. That's what Paul's talking about. He says, be strong in the Lord. And that should be enough, but he says, not just be strong in the Lord, but he says, and in the power of his might. Can I put emphasis on be strong in him, in the power of his might, because in and of yourself, you have nothing to bring to this match. You have nothing to bring to this war in and of yourself. If you think that in your own strength somehow you're going to defeat the enemy, I've heard some people who downplay, you know, the power of darkness and make maybe a joke about the devil and whatever. And listen to me, you in and of yourself, you are no match for his strength. You're no match for his power. But that's why Paul says you, though, have the opportunity to be strong in the Lord to be strong in the power of his might. And I've noticed this about strength. Almost all strength is developed. It's very, very little uh, uh, expressions of strength just come automatic. As a matter of fact, if I never use a muscle, that muscle will atrophy and eventually not have any strength at all. And so every muscle that we have, whatever strength you do have, is because you've You've done something. You've exerted some effort and it's caused you to have some strength. Now, as I look around this room, and I'm sure it'd be the same at all of our campuses, I understand this. 
I understand really quickly that I'm not the strongest guy in the room as I look around. Now, I have some strength because I've done simple things. Like if I reach down and pick up my, my backpack, it's heavy sometimes. It's, it's some strength. It's building some strength. I'm doing something so that my, muscle are, my muscles are activated and there's strength there. But there are some of you that don't rely on your backpack to be your strength training. There are some of you that go four or five days a week, you're in the gym, you're actually moving weight. I mean, you're actually, you're lifting dumbbells and you're doing all this strength training. And if, if it was me walking by and then one of you five days a week in the gym guys walking by and we said, guess which one of us actually wants to be strong? It wouldn't be any doubt. Y'all be like, he is the one that one, I can tell, I can see it because he has worked towards being strong. So when Paul says be strong, when Paul says be strong in the Lord, what he's telling you is this, you being a Christian is not just some automatic strength. There's got to be some intentionality to this that you've got to decide, I've got to get on my knees and learn how to get strong in God. I've got to learn how to tap in to the power of his might because of what's going on around me, because this war is real. I read this old article um, in uh, National Geographic, and it was about uh, these animals called the Alaskan bull moose. And uh, these great animals, every fall, the male species of these animals, uh, they end up battling for dominance. And it's this whole thing. And they come in and videotape it sometimes. And these, these male animals will just battle. And they, when they do, uh, they'll, they'll back up from each other, and then they'll just head towards each other, and boom, literally head-to-head -head combat, just battling their heads and getting their antlers all uh, hooked together and trying to move each other around by that. And in one of those battles, uh, oftentimes an, an antler will break, and when the antler breaks, it's the sign of defeat. Now that that, that moose now is out of the picture as far as dominance there, and uh, he loses the battle. And so uh, the battle is fought every year in the fall. But what this article go on, went on to say was that the battle is actually won in late spring and summer. Because it's in late spring and summer when these animals are finding their diet. And they're finding what to consume. And some of those animals will find a diet that will make them strong. It'll make them large. It'll make them hefty. And, and it'll make their antlers. They'll find a, a diet that's rich in the right nutrients that'll make their antlers strong. And they step on to, for the battle. But the battle had already been won in, in the past. See, sometimes for us, we get in the midst of a battle. And that's when we decide we want to be strong. I mean, when the attack comes, right, everybody then wants to be a prayer warrior. When the attack comes, now it's like, okay, now I want to tap into the supernatural realm. Now, when things were good, not so much. When things were, were good, I was consuming some junk food. But now as I look back, I wish, you know what I'm saying? When we get in the battle, we look back and we, it's no wonder we lose some of our public battles because we haven't been fighting them in our private time. Yeah. And what Paul is saying here is whether things are good or bad, Matter of fact, there may be somebody under the sound of my voice that says, I don't really feel like there's a spiritual war going on. 
Well, God bless you. You know what you need to do in that season is get strong because the battle is coming. I do know one thing, that the enemy has you in his sights and he's waiting for the right time. And so we've got to be strong in the Lord whether we sense we're in a battle or not. We've got to learn how to get on our knees and pray and seek God's face and know God. Sometimes when we think about those kinds of things, people who pray a lot, People who get in their word a lot. And we go, well, those are just a special breed of Christian. You know, those are the Christians. They're just always praying for revival. They just want revival to break out. And they're, they're just praying. I just don't have time to be that, that uh, kind of Christian. You know, they're always praying for revival. Listen, uh, praying is not just about seeing revival. You know, praying is also about seeing survival. Sometimes you need to pray just so you can be a, a survivor in this battle, in this war that's going on. And so Paul says, be strong in the Lord. I'm not sure. I mean, we've made a category and we, we talk about certain Christians. We go, well, he's a really strong Christian. Listen, we're the ones that made those categories. You won't find those categories biblically. Amen. We're the ones that did that. Really what Paul's saying is if you are a Christian, guess what? You have been enlisted in this war and so you better be strong. Amen. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He goes on to say the next verse in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I guess I would say it this way, that if this thing is real, then we better be externally equipped. We talked about being internally trained and, and, and strong. Paul now talks about being externally equipped. Put on the whole armor that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This armor is a layer of protection against the enemy. This armor keeps us from being opened up to the attacks of the enemy. He's talking to the Ephesians here, and the Ephesians knew what it was like to be opened to the enemy. In Acts chapter 19, if you read there, uh, a lot of the Ephesians come to Christ, and when they do, uh, they begin to confess uh, some of the sorcery and witchcraft and some of the uh, occult stuff that they had been involved in, where they had opened themselves up to the enemy, and now they're bringing these things that they used for those practices, and they're, they're being burned. And so the Ephesians had opened themselves up to the enemy, and now Paul is, is saying to them, remember, you gotta, you got to keep that armor on. Don't open yourself up again. I mean, think about the different ways, because sometimes we think the battle's not real, because sometimes we let our guard down, we're opening ourselves up to the enemy. Paul talks about what that armor specifically is um, as in, later on in this same chapter, in chapter 6. We'll pick it up in verse 14 as he's talking about what this armor looks like. He says, first, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the belt of truth. And by this, I think Paul is saying that let, let there be sincerity to your life. Like, no duplicity in your life. Like, who you are is who you are. Don't be one way in church around all the Christians and then another way when you're in the car with your family. Don't be one way around your Christian friends and another way when you're at work. Don't have one set of, of principles around this crowd and then a different set of principles because if you're not living the truth, you know what you're doing? You're opening yourself up to attack of the enemy. This is spiritual warfare we're talking about. Just living what you say you believe. That's spiritual warfare. He goes on to say, and uh, take the breastplate of righteousness in place. The breastplate of righteousness. Think about what a breastplate did. 
It, protect, it protected the, the vitals. It protected the heart. And Paul says it's a breastplate of righteousness. Think about that word for a moment, righteousness. Righteousness simply means this, right decisions, right actions. It's as simple as this, when I do the right thing, I'm, I'm, I'm having protection in the spiritual war. When I just simply do the right thing, when I just make the ethical decision, and not just in the areas when, when somebody's watching, it's easy to do the right thing when everybody's watching you. I'm talking about those areas that maybe no one even knows what's going to be the outcome of this. When that area that you can tell the little white lie and nobody's going to know the difference, the area that you can get into where it's kind of gray and you think, well, no one's going to really find this out. That may be true. Maybe not on this earth. They're not going to find it out. But what you're doing is you're taking that breastplate of righteousness off with every wrong word spoken, with every wrong decision made, with every wrong action. I'm opening myself up now to greater attack. The breastplate of, of righteousness. He goes on to say, and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And this one maybe is not as clear imagery for us. Paul's writing this probably with uh, reflections of, of prison guards in full, uh, in full armor. And so uh, that's where people think he probably is getting this inspiration as he's describing the armor of God. But he talks about feet that are fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And uh, included in a Roman soldier's uh, like, armor would be some sort of footwear. And uh, many times there was a protection over the top, but also a very, very uh, thick and hefty sole. Because in those times of battle, uh, as armies would advance, uh, a competing army, an opposing army, army would leave stuff uh, hidden in the ground, in the trails. They would leave sticks sharpened, pointed up. Uh, they would leave traps. And so as armies and soldiers would advance, they would step on a trap or they would step on one of these sharp objects and obviously go down and not be able to advance anymore. So when Paul is saying, you should have your feet fitted with readiness, you know what he's saying? He said, you should be a person that's always moving forward. You should be a person that's always advancing in your faith, growing in your faith, growing in your passion for God, growing in your worship, growing in your prayer. I thank God that I go to a church that's constantly taking ground, that's constantly moving forward because we know that's what we're called to do. And so are you as an individual called to be moving forward in your faith. And when we stop and when we get stagnant, what does that mean? It means now we're opened up to the attack of the enemy. He says, feet fitted with readiness. Verse 16, he says, uh, uh, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. I don't know what you picture in your mind with the shield of faith. Maybe some of you picture like Captain America, a little like a little disc, a little metal round shield, and he throws it around like a Frisbee sometimes, take people out. Well, I promise you that's not what Paul was picturing. He was not picturing a little cute disc. Uh, those, uh, those Roman soldiers, uh, their, their shield was more like, a, more like a wall, really. It was more like a gigantic door they're carrying around. And they would carry that that gigantic shield of faith. Literally before a battle, they would take that, that shield and dip it and, and soak it in water because they were 
there were flaming arrows coming at it and that water would put those arrows out. And so what do we do? Do we want to have like little cute, like little cute shield of faith? No, just a little bit of faith in my life. No, I want a lot of faith in my life. I want to believe for big things. I want to carry around a shield that's wet in the word of God, which is, by the way, that's how your faith grows is by getting committed to the word of God. You dip that shield into the water of the word of God and then as the enemy's arrows are coming in, they're extinguished because you have faith. When battles are coming your way, right? When the diagnosis is not good, when it doesn't look like things are working out, when there's a little explosion uh, of, of, of emotion at the house or when the boss is treating you bad, you can have a shield of faith. Like, oh, my faith is way bigger than all these small problems. He says that you would have a, a shield of faith by with, you can, uh, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then he says, take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. Just think about what that would mean. That salvation is, is of course, paramount in our protection against an attack of the enemy. To think that some of you would be in the middle of a spiritual war and neither one not realize it, and, or number two, be completely unprotected without the presence of God in your life. A, a helmet protecting uh, the way you think and, and, and by how you think by your outlook, by your attitude, that's all part of the, uh, the helmet of, of, of salvation, a renewed mind. And then he says, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Up until now, they've been more defensive in nature. Now this is the first offensive weapon that he mentions, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. There's just literally no hope in a spiritual battle without the Word of God for a believer. There's just not. There's just not a, there's not a place of being, well, I'm too busy for, for that, but I'll try to fight in some other areas. No, the Word of God has to be a part of this equation. It's the sword. It's, it's the offense. It's, it's having enough Word of God in you that when you are in a battle, you can claim the promises of the Word of God over your life. Boy, that is powerful. Some of you have never even tapped into that weapon. You've never even gotten there. You've never felt a spiritual battle and just open up the Word of God and begin to speak and read out loud the Word of God, but it'll change the environment. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and then he says, and pray. Like, he's kind of saying, like, let all of this be joined together by prayer. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So think about all these areas protected, the head, the heart, the feet, all protected and not opened against the enemy. Really, the only area that's not protected is our, our back. Two reasons why that is. Number one, because God's got your back. Oh, can I say that for somebody who just needs to hear it today for your particular situation? God's got your back. But also because of this, you were not meant to retreat. You are not meant to be afraid of the enemy. You're meant to face the enemy. You're meant to be strong enough in your strength and in the might and the power of God that you don't have to run away. That's why all this armor is in front of you to take the ground that you've been called to take. And then in verse 12, finally Paul says, for we do not wrestle. And some of us would like to just stop that verse right there and just go, that's, that's the part I want. I'll just watch from the side. We do not wrestle. I'll be one that doesn't wrestle. But that's not what Paul was saying. It's not really an option. Like, uninvolvement isn't really an option on this deal. He says, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but, implying we do wrestle, look what he says here, against principalities, against powers, 
against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Wow. I mean, Hollywood has nothing on this description of this very real and present army of demonic creatures that Paul is describing here. This is some heavy stuff. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness. And he's saying, this is what we wrestle with. This is what we go hand to hand, foot to foot combat with. I guess I would say it this way. If this war is real, then you better be entirely engaged. You've got to be all in because listen, the enemy is all in against you and you better be all in with God because this battle is happening. And so sometimes we want to think that, well, I'll just kind of battle sometimes. I'll kind of be strong sometimes. I'll kind of fight when I feel like I really got to fight. No, this has to be, uh, this really is your life. This isn't just a couple days of, uh, uh, of motivation. This has to be your life. You have to be all in on this because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Some of us, we think that's where we, we win battles. We run around fighting with people. It's not people. People aren't the problem. Now, there are spiritual forces that might be causing those people to act out in a way that becomes a problem for your life. But remember, it's the spiritual forces of evil that's the problem. We run around trying to win arguments. Let me show you what we're supposed to do with arguments. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul's also talking about this spiritual war. And he says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. What weapons is he talking about? He just talked about them in Ephesians. Prayer, the word of God, those are our weapons in the armor of God. And now he says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. This is what we have. We have demolished, uh, we can demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We're out here trying to win arguments, patting ourselves on the back because we won an argument in the natural realm when we're actually called to demolish arguments in the spiritual realm. That's a much higher level of victory. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. These are our weapons in this very, very real battle that we have to be engaged in completely. I guess let me ask the question out loud that I think some of you have been asking maybe internally. And um, as I do, just if you had zoned out a little bit, just kind of come in for this, this kind of question of the day, if you will. Here's the question of the day as we've looked into uh, kind of what our response is to this very, very real enemy, this very real horde army against us. Here's the question of the day. Why doesn't God just take this resistance out of the picture once and for all? Why doesn't God from heaven just take his God thumb and just smash out every principality and power and devil and just be done with it and then we can just do life. Why doesn't God do that? That's really the question perhaps some of us ask when we think about a spiritual war. Let me answer it this way. When I was in fifth grade um, and it was probably around that same time of, of my, my Rocky era so it might explain where this story's going but I was in fifth grade and I was just in the playground and it was kind of recess and I walk by this scene, there's a bunch of kids standing around this, this scene, I come up on it, 
and there's a kid there and he's being picked on by another kid. I knew both of them. Uh, one of them was, I, I was relatively friends with. One of them was my neighbor. This big kid was picking on a, on a smaller guy. My, my friend, he was kind of smaller. And this kid, I wasn't necessarily like friends with him. I kind of knew him. He was, he was bigger. He was a fifth grader, but I, it was one of those kids. It might have been his third year through fifth grade. You feel, you feel where I'm going with that, all right? He was doing good this time through, though. Big kid. Um, and I come up on this scene, and he's picking on this little kid, and I don't know what got in me. Spirit of the Lord came on me, or maybe it was because I was in my training regiment at that time. <laughs> but I just injected myself into the situation. I came up behind that big kid named Charles, and I came up behind him and got him in a full Nelson. He never saw it coming, and I just grabbed him like that, and I said, leave him alone. And at that point, I realized, I don't know what step two is of this plan. Like, I don't know... <laughs> where we go from here exactly. Do I just hold him until a teacher comes? Or I'm like, leave him alone, I wanted to say. And also, uh, me too. <laughs> I said, you gonna leave him alone? He's like, yeah. I want to be like, you gonna leave me alone? So I take my hands off of his neck and he turns around at me and I just do my best to be like, you don't even want any of this. <laughs> and it worked, it was amazing. He just kind of sunk his head and just kind of walked away. And then I looked at that crowd of kids that were all standing around watching this thing happen. And I gave them the same look. I'm like, do any of you want any of this? They're all like, hmm, no, 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 backing away. I'm gonna tell you something. I walked away from that scene with my shoulders held high. I mean, that feeling, it lasted for about a week there on campus. I was the tough guy on campus for about a week. And let me tell you, it felt good. Like I'd walk into the bathroom and kids would just scurry out of the bathroom just to fear what I might do to them. And they just kind of just telling you, it just kind of felt good. I had the sense in that moment to realize that the playground had become a battleground and I injected myself in it. Now we may ask, why doesn't the devil just get taken out by God? Why doesn't God just do it once and for all? Why doesn't God just come victorious over the enemy? He does. He does take them out every day, and he uses people like you to do it. Why does he use me to do it? Because if he uses me to do it, I understand what it feels like to be victorious. I understand how I walk around and kind of go, you know what? It doesn't matter what comes against me because I won that battle the other day, and I'll win the next battle the next time. That's why the devil doesn't take him out once and for all. He lets you take him out once you have the discernment to realize the battle's going on. And so this battle's real, but you don't have to be a casualty. Oh, it would be dangerous if you just think that you can ignore it or pretend to not believe in it. No, it's real. And our option is just this, just one option. We gotta be strong. We gotta put on an armor and be protected. And then we gotta go for it. And we got to wrestle and fight and be fighters to the point that we see what it feels like to be victors. Oh, because when you live your Christian life as a victor, as more than a conqueror, it'll change the way you live. It'll change the way you pray. It'll change the way you worship. It'll change the way you give. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.